Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. The Restory Show, Season 2, Episode 5. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. They've got a whole bunch of titles to choose from for any device that you have, and these are great ways to make your commute to listen to a really awesome book. Speaking of books, today I'm welcoming author Jim Rubart. He's also a speaker and a marketer and used to be a radio personality, so you'll see that, uh, you'll hear that in his voice. And today we talk about what it's like to pursue a dream and then arrive and then realize that that is not going to fill you, that ultimately our filling comes from God alone. And so that's an important discovery. And I think that you're going to really be encouraged today by what Jim has to say. So without any further ado, here is the Restory Show with Jim Rubart. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Restory Show. And today I'm really excited to have Jim Rubart. And uh, he could be James L. Rubart. But um, <laughs> but I think his middle name has to be an R so he can be like J.R.R. Tolkien. But anyway, he is a novelist and he is a part of my mastermind group. We have a mastermind group of authors who are trying to learn how to market their books. and But we've become much more than that. The whole group meets once a year in person and we meet every two weeks online. And so recently I thought, you know, I should ask people in my mastermind group because they're so great if they would join me on the Restory show. So Jim, thank you so much for coming on today's show. Oh, I've been looking forward to it. I love what you're doing with the show. So thanks for having me. Awesome. So my first question is just to give the listeners a little idea about who you are. Um, just give us your story in a, a medium-sized nutshell. <laughs> like, <laughs> where did you go? Digest, but not War and Peace, right? <laughs> right, yeah, not War and Peace, at least not that. Uh, so I was born in the Seattle area and lived there until I was eight years old, then moved to Spokane until I was 14 and then back to the Seattle area. Ended up going to the University of Washington, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but I had all my requirements out of the way, and so I had to pick a major, and I've always loved to write and so I decided to go to the School of Journalism. Yeah. And so I got into the School of Journalism and then I started seeing all these guys and gals in radio and TV. And I thought, oh my gosh, that looks like fun. So I switched my major to broadcast journalism and I ended up graduating with that degree. During that process, I needed to get an internship. So I got an internship at a local Christian radio station and three months after the internship ended, they hired me. So I ended up, yeah, I ended up doing news uh, for them. And then I ended up on air uh, on the music side of things, doing the DJ thing. And that was going okay. I was liking it. But really, Mary, it's it's you and a microphone and some music. And I got bored really quickly. So the station manager ended up talking me into going into radio sales. So I was Billy Crystal, <laughs> for those of you a little <laughs> bit older, selling airtime. 
And I did that for eight years and then started my own ad agency in 1994. So I've been doing that ever since, doing marketing and advertising and branding for companies and individuals. But I got to back up a little bit and tell you about the writing thing that happened to me in seventh and eighth and ninth grade. Of course you do. Yeah. So I'm in seventh grade and my mom buys my sister and I the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, yeah, big woo-woo. And I read that and it was mesmerized. I was just captured by these stories. And that was when the first little seed came in. Oh, my gosh, I would love to try to do this for other people someday, what Lewis has done for me. Well, later that year, seventh grade, my story was picked in English class to be videoed. We were going to make a video. We were going to act it out. And the teacher chose my story. So it was kind of one of those first encouragements from the Lord to pursue this. So I took journalism class in eighth grade. Loved it, Mary. I absolutely loved it. And at the end of eighth grade, you could apply to be part of the school paper. So, of course, I applied to be on the school paper in ninth grade. And the journalism teacher said, nope. Not going to do that. And, you know, looking back, it seems like, oh, Jim, big deal. But back then it was a big deal. And at that moment, I believed the lie. Well, you can't write. You have no skill at this. And so I put that dream on hold for years and years and years and years till I was 40 years old. It was really my wife, Darcy, that was the one that spurred me on to actually start pursuing this idea of writing fiction. So um, that was 2001, 2002, finished my first novel in late 2005, went to my first writing conference in spring of 2006, where I met this amazing (laughs) writer and mentor and friend named Mary DeMuth. And and after that, things really exploded. Got an agent six months later and then sold my first novel in 2008. It was published in 2010. And my eighth novel comes out this August. Awesome. What's it called? It's called The Long Journey to Jake Palmer. Oh, I like that. That sounds cool. Awesome. So back up a little bit and tell me, you moved two pretty major moves there, but how you said you had a sister and parents and all that. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah. So until I was eight years old, pretty normal upbringing in the Seattle area. And then when we moved to Spokane, we had some things happen within our family, within our nuclear family that kind of blew it up. And so those years in Spokane, we refer to them as the dark years. And I shouldn't be laughing about that. It's not funny, but but that's really what it was. So for me, uh, a, a little boy turning into a young man between the ages of 8 and 14, it was an extremely difficult time. And then coming back to the Seattle area, things definitely got better at that point. But as you look at your life and you say, what are the things that shaped you and molded you for good or, or bad? That's definitely a time that, that has created a lot of my anxieties and my fears and my wounds came out of, came out of that period. So what would be one of the number one wounds that you, besides the fact that you, you know, had the thing happen in eighth grade with journalism, but just personally, what, what lie did you believe about yourself that you've, you're now kind of working through? Uh, not worthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Hey, I wrote a book about that. <laughs> <laughs> you can relate to that, Mary. Yes. Oh, not just me. Uh, not worthy of being loved. Not mm. not not valued. 
and then the enemy continued as he does in our lives, continues to try to get that message in again and again through, through various circumstances. He knows our weak spots, right? And so a weak spot for me, Mary, might not be a weak spot for you. And something might happen to you, that same thing that happened to me, and you're like, big deal. But to me, it is a big deal because those spots are still vulnerable. So I'd, I'd say the biggest thing is I just felt like, wow, you're not worthy of being loved. Mm. And so how did that f- uh, factor in when you met Darcy? Well, Darcy was... <laughs> And still is my dream girl, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful thing. However, however, if you are looking to that person to validate you, Mm -hmm. that can be a real danger. And part of the danger, as I look back on my marriage with Darcy, and we just celebrated 30 years, so I got a long time to look back. I realized that I looked to her so often for validation. I looked to her for support. I looked for her to say I was okay. I looked for her approval where you just go, that's, that's a trap that, that is not going to work long-term. Right. And I think when you do that, then you misplace it. So you're, you're not asking God for that. You're not seeking his face for your worth. You're seeking in someone else. And even though Darcy is really great, she can't, she's not your savior. So she's not going to ultimately fill you up the way you need to be filled up. Right. And if you're, if you're, let's, I guess, use the word taking from someone all the time, it's harder for you to be giving to that person, right? If you're looking to always, I need, I need, I need. Right. You're not serving her, you're being served. Right. Right. So I love the story about her role in your writing dream. So would you be willing to share that with uh, the listeners today? Yeah, absolutely. I, so this dream. And by the way, tell them that you have kids. You have kids, right? Yes. Oh, right. I forgot (laughs) to mention my, oh my gosh, awesome sons. My, I wrote this in (laughs) true vulnerability here. I wrote in my Outlook to do list ages ago when the boys were like 10 and seven. I said, my greatest fear is my boys growing up because once they grow up, then they can choose to be friends or not. They can choose to be with us or not. And I am so incredibly be- blessed that my two sons, Taylor, 23, and Micah, 20, are two of my best friends. So, yes, I have two. we have two sons that are just outstanding young men. They are, and I can attest to that. They are great. So <laughs> let's continue with the story of your awesome cheerleading wife who um, kicked you in the butt in a kind way and <laughs> fasted and all this. Yeah, so... You know, the dream didn't die, Mary. I, I buried it, but it mm-hmm. still was still there. there. And it refused it refused to to completely die. And so even in my late teens and my early twenties and my thirties, I was journaling. I even went to a couple of one day conferences, not the full meal deal conference, but one day conferences. I subscribed to Writer's Digest. I was reading books on writing, so I was still doing it. And and I was writing short stories. And, and I kept saying to Darcy, man, I just, you know, I, I want to do this. I want to do this, but I just can't seem to figure. And she was great. She said, well, maybe it's not your time. Maybe it's not your time. But the turning point that you uh, referenced, Mary, is 2001. And Darcy announces, I'm going on a fast. And I said, okay, why? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, okay, how long are you going to fast until I get the answer? What's the question? <laughs> I don't know. And so, I, you know, that's kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay. And so 24 hours later, I said, did the Lord tell you anything? No. Well, what's the question you're asking him? I, I don't know. Um, how long are you doing this? Till I get the answer. And so day two goes by 48 hours. You get anything? No, still nothing. So I'm starting she to She is hungry. <laughs> yeah, she is hungry after two days. Halfway through day three... We're riding in, in our Jeep. We had a Jeep at that time. 
And she was driving. I can still picture it vividly. And it was like one of those light bulbs, you know, that goes off over your head. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. And he said, I've given you this desire. I've given you this ability. When are you going to step into this destiny I've created for you? Not in a, it wasn't a you have to way, but it's like an invitation. Why, why are you not stepping into this? And so I turned to Darcy and I said, wow, I know why you're fasting. And she says, why? And I said, I am supposed to be a novelist. And she turns to me and says, wait a minute. I'm hungry for three days and you get the answer. <laughs> uh, so after, sacrificial. <laughs> yeah, so sacrificial. But after we started, um, after we laughed about that, we really realized that that was the Lord telling me to dive in. So that's when I started working on my first novel. And again, four years later, when I finished the thing, she was the one that said, Jim, you have to go to Mount Hermon. Nah, nah, I don't want to do that because I had been rejected uh, pretty brutally by an editor. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And I stopped working on my book. I stopped reading fiction. I was going to be done. And again, Darcy was the one that said, no, I think the Lord is telling you go to this conference. And that's that conference is where everything exploded for me. And what happened at the conference that exploded? Well, uh, seriously, I met people like you. I met Mick Silva. I met Randy Ingermans, and I met Trisha Goyer. Uh, I, I met Steve Lobby. I ended up meeting the guy that ended up being my first agent, right? All of that stuff happened. And then the encouragement of meeting with five editors and all five of them saying, I want to see your manuscript. So that was, I guess, the moment, Mary, where it was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, maybe I can sing, right? I thought I was one of those kids on American Idol that everyone knew they couldn't sing except them. Yeah. And so it was that encouragement of maybe I can sing a little bit. Um, so that w- that was very, very encouraging. So when you're you're now in a position now where people will come to you for advice about writing and the writing life and publishing and, and kind of ministry dreams, things like that. Uh, what do you say to people who are in that realm of, should I try? Should I not? Am I just deluding myself like the American Idol singers? What kind of, how, how do you coach someone who wants to realize a dream? And it may not have to be writing, but wants to realize a dream, but doesn't know what the next step is. If it, if it's writing specifically, I advise them to go invest in a good pair of running shoes, preferably sprinting shoes, and run in the opposite direction as fast as possible. <laughs> Amen. Uh, uh, I know writing truly is, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. And that is, boy, if you can avoid writing, do it. If you say, I can't not write, then great, it's for you. But it's not, it's not an easy path. But then again, any, any dream is not an easy path. But what has really changed my mentality on dreams and passions and desires was I thought, I thought getting published was the definition of success. I thought hitting a bestseller list was the definition of success. I thought the definition of success was people emailing you and saying, oh, wow, your book changed my life. And what I've come to realize is the definition of success in God's kingdom is extremely simple. It's, did you try? And I base this on the parable of the talents where one guy doubles, uh, another takes 10 to 20, another guy takes five to 10, the one, the third guy buries it in the ground. There was no example of a guy who tried and failed, right? And so I think in God's economy, there is no failure. There's only you didn't try. That is the failure. And so I encourage anybody that has a dream, oh my gosh, go after it full force, throw yourself into it, but do not judge yourself or compare yourself to other people because that cannot be the comparison stick. The comparison stick is did you try your hardest? You did? Oh my gosh, you're a raving success. And when you get to heaven, God is going to go, 
are you kidding me? You rocked it. You rocked it. And all the guys who spent, you know, gave $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 to the building fund are going to be usurped by the woman who drops two pennies, right? Mm-hmm. Remember that story mm-hmm. from the Bible? Mm-hmm. And so I would just encourage you to go for it, but do not judge yourself. Do not compare. And I know that's hard to do, but cannot compare. For the listeners of Free Story, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial to check out their service. And today I'm going to suggest that you try Rooms by Jim Rubart. It is available at audible.com and you can download his book or any of his other books. I have a link in the show notes at audible.com forward slash Restory to get that free audiobook. I think that's, I mean, that's really wise. And I would like to, just for my own self, ask, how do you counsel someone in a career that, that does have comparison? And m- many careers do. So you and I are in a career where we can compare ourselves to each other and, oh, he hit the bestseller or she has, you know, 20 more books out than I do or he speaks in front of larger audiences than me or whatever. And we can become consumed by what we don't have instead of being content with what we do. So how have you kind of worked really? through that? that <laughs> yeah, not with you, but that's happened to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a great question because then that's been my struggle. Uh, I'd love to say that's been my struggle up until, you know, five years ago, but it's really been my struggle (laughs) up until last week. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you outed me, Mary. Um, But that is the struggle and that is the question and that is the thing I have wrestled with again and again and again because if I'm honest deep down, I mean, when Rooms first came out, my first novel – Mary, I wasn't checking Amazon once a day. I was checking Amazon once every, every half minutes. hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I wonder where I'm at now. I wonder where I'm at now. Did I get a good review? Did I get a bad review? And so I was, I was continually doing that. And as I watched my career continue, what I realized was I am absolutely, as we talked about earlier, I am absolutely trying to get love and worth and validation from something outside of ABBA. And it just doesn't work. And, and the, the big but switch we think in my it mind. does. We think we do. it does. Oh my gosh. We, we live as it if does. it does. <laughs> oh my gosh. Totally I remember I remember you saying to me, you might even not even remember this, but I was convinced getting published was okay. I just need to get published and I'm gonna feel all the things I've longed for all my life and it's, life is gonna be complete. And you said, Jim, uh, it doesn't work that way. Yes, it does, Barry. You don't know. It is it's gonna work that way for me. And of course it didn't, right? And so I just came to realize any any validation, any seeking of validation outside of ABBA, it, it just is not going to satisfy. It'll satisfy for a few minutes, actually, especially when you first start getting those emails. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm okay, I'm okay. But it does not satisfy ultimately. And so for lack of a better analogy, it's cake and frosting. The great review or the award is nice frosting. But unless our father is the cake, we are in trouble. The divine baker. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, like and you that. and I both, um, we shared the same agent for a period of time, and he said something that was really insightful. He said, publishing does not validate your life. Yeah. And so the listeners can substitute that for whatever. You know, winning the race doesn't validate your life. Um, climbing the corporate ladder does not validate your life. Uh, succeeding in sports does not validate your life. Having a number one single does not validate your life. Having the perfect relationship, whatever that is, doesn't exist, but it doesn't validate your life. Having kids that go the right way does not validate your life. None of that does. Only Jesus Christ does. 
Oh, that, that, Mary, that is so, that is so, so good. And, 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 and to learn that, if you can learn that, if you can really realize that you have a father who loves you, oh my gosh, the freedom in that, because you're freed up from all these other, and this is not too strong a word, addictions, right? And I, I was privileged to be a, a facilitator at a, a men's retreat about three weeks ago. And the idea behind this men's retreat is brilliant. It's put on by Morgan Schneider of Ransomed Heart Ministries. And Ran, uh, Morgan's heart is for those 25 to 35-year-old young men who are just starting a family and a career and trying to figure this whole thing out. And, 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 and the name of the intensive is called Good Soil. We want to become good soil where the crop can multiply 60, 100-fold. So there's 50 of those guys by application, and then there's 32 mentors who come in and work with these guys, hear their stories, and maybe offer a thought or two. And so I was a facilitator uh, here in the Colorado uh, Rocky Mountains. Before, before the intensive, I emailed Morgan. I, said, I emailed him on something, and he writes back to me, and he goes, Hey, Jim, thanks for writing. I, I've been thinking about you. I've been meaning to send you this book. I'm like, Okay. He says, the name of the book is Addictions and Grace by Gerald May. And so I go to Darcy and I go, well, is he saying I need this book? I'm not addicted, right? Because addictions are heroin, porn, and uh, <laughs> what's the other one? Uh, what's the, oh, alcohol. You're an alcoholic, you're a porn addict, or you're a heroin addict. Th- those are addictions. And, and so I showed it to Darcy and he goes, she says, no, 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 he's not, that's not for you. It's, it's so that you'll be able to minister to the guys. I'm like, oh, okay. All right, good. <laughs> Those course, people, you, yes. Those people, right? And then I get the I get the book and I start reading through it and I go, oh, and I emailed Morgan. I go, oh my gosh, Morgan. Hi, Morgan. <laughs> I'm an addict, right? <laughs> and the addictions I have, you know, one of my addictions is email. I get up in the morning and I love to check my email because you can get a little hit from a cool email or this kind of thing, right? Another addiction is food. What you go to food for comfort, right? And, and food is an awesome one because, boom, you just get that instantaneously, right? And you can uh, control it too. like, And you can control it. You can choose what you eat. I so can I'm go to the store and buy that chocolate bar. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then looking back, the addiction is, okay, I, I, I want another great letter from a, a reader. I want that addiction. And so you start looking at your life and you realize whether you call them addictions, whether you call them idols, anything you go to for validation – other than the father, it's just, oh my gosh, it's, it is sugar, right? It's pure sugar. It feels great for a moment. And then afterwards you go, okay, that isn't satisfied. Need more sugar, need more sugar. And it never, it's just not good for your body. It's so true. And it's a, I think it's a lifelong process to learn that God is enough. And, you know, I think we still like, we'll be on the treadmill of God is enough, God is enough, God is enough. And then we'll fall off and be like, no, no, no. Human praise is enough. I need more of that. Chase, chase, chase. Right, right. right. And that's what I'm learning. It's a conscious decision every morning to go, wait a minute, consciously do this. It's, you're right, Mary, you're always going back. And so this, the Alcoholics Anonymous uses what? They say, I am an alcoholic. I'm a recovering alcoholic. And so my language is, I'm an addict. I, I'm a recovering addict because that temptation is so easy to slip back into. Mm-hmm. So true. Okay, I want to kind of change gears just a little bit and then we'll be done in just a little bit. But I wanted to go back to your, uh, your relationship with your sons versus your relationship with your earthly father who passed away a little bit ago and how that relationship with your earthly father influenced you to pour into your sons? 
Yeah, that's a great question. My dad was not because of his upbringing, right? You start to understand. You go, oh, I understand why you weren't be able able to be a dad to me like I wanted you to be because I ended up pursuing my dad for a relationship when it should be the other way around. A dad should pursue you for a relationship. And so I think that's where a lot of my lack of validation and, and feeling worth comes from. It, why am I pursuing? I should be pursued. And so I decided I'm going to go after my sons. I am going to pursue them. Even though I don't necessarily know how to do it, I'm going to say I love you until they're sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to be in relationship with you and just pour everything I have into you. And it's funny because flogging the self, not accepting that I've been a good father has been a challenge for me. I, all the evidence is there. And Darcy says, oh my gosh, what do yes. you mean? You, you were a fantastic father. But I yeah. still... I almost hold myself up to perfection because my childhood was so, so the opposite. And so now I guess I am seeing some of the seeds of that, some of the fruit of that, where the letters I get from my sons and the the connection I have with them is just, is stunning. And so it's a good way for me. And we all know this, but we know it in our head and not our heart. And that is, how are you treating your sons? Probably I'm doing some cool things for them. Well, is your father in heaven better or worse than you at that? Does he care for you more than you care for your sons or less? And and the, the challenge, Mary, is continually getting that from my head into my heart where I go, oh, my gosh, Abba is so madly, wildly, passionately in love with me instead of having his arms folded going, okay, I guess I got to let you in. <laughs> <laughs> By the skin of your teeth. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that's, I, as someone who's looking from afar, I'll affirm Darcy's words that I, that's one thing I really admire about you is your fatherhood. You, you definitely have a passion for your sons and it shows in your relationship today. And, and even just watching you interact with them is just a really beautiful thing and help me to see the father's love in that way. Because, you know, I had that same deprivation. And in fact, mine was more um, abuse than, you know, deprivation. So it's really hard for me to understand God's love. And I, I too struggled with all the time. Am I a good mom? Am I a good mom? Am I a good mom? And finally, um, even recently I was talking with my eldest daughter and, and we were talking through, you know, an issue and, and we both kind of marveled that I never had that with my parents. I never would have had the opportunity to wrestle through an issue with them. I never had the relationship with them to even have the conversation. And, and she said, but that's not the way it is with you and me, mom. And I was, I, I teared up because I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> I have poured into them and they love me back and it works. And, and, you know, they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I make 1000 mistakes, but I think there's something really beautiful about the restoring process where you, your negative background can either spur you on to do something absolutely brand new and transformative, or you can give into it and say, I wasn't raised well, so I'm not going to raise well. And I'll just blame that my past on it. Right. And I, I, you know, I look at your restory, how you have restored it and how I, Darcy and I have restored it because she didn't have a great childhood either. And, and, and I look at you and it's like, what do you mean you you don't think you're a great mom? You're a fantastic mom because I've watched you over the years since, well, since 2006, mm-hmm. so 10 years of, of going after the hearts of your kids passionately and praying for them and weeping over them and investing in them. And it's like, you're nuts, Mary. What do you mean? You're fantastic. But what we don't see that, and, and sometimes it takes our kids coming back to us and saying those things to us, or Patrick from the outside going, Mary, or your friends or Darcy to say, no, 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 no. 
do not believe that lie. This is the truth. Right. And that is something I want to kind of finish on is this something that you've taught me and was very transformative for me at the last mastermind retreat. You've, you've been quoted as saying that you can't read your own label and, uh, Tell the listeners a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, it's it's so obvious once you think about it. So it's nothing profound except that we don't think about it. And that is, like you just said, it's impossible to read the label when you're standing inside the bottle. And we are all standing inside our own bottles. And we don't see ourselves as other people see us. We don't see ourselves as God sees us. And that's why... I think it is so critical for the body of Christ to be much more than going to church on Sunday morning, singing some songs, uh, getting some teaching, and then shaking hands, how are you? It's getting into that intimate fellowship where you can speak life and light and encouragement into each other's lives. And at the Mastermind Retreat, where we took time to speak the label on each everybody's bottle, I, I know that all of us were going, I don't, I don't, don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. We were so scared and so nervous. And we shouldn't have been, right? But we were. And that just speaks of how easily we take the negative criticism, how easily we go to, well, I'm not worth anything. Mary's fantastic. And Susie and Randy and Thomas are fantastic, but not me. Don't do me. Don't do me because there's going to be nothing to say. And so that's, I think, where it's so critical. We do become the body of Christ to each other and can call those things out on a regular basis so that we are able to step into our glory, right? Our destiny. I love that. And I think that anytime I'm kind of going through that, I just picture myself standing inside of a, a salad dressing bottle <laughs> and realize, you know, no one can read the, or I can't read the high fructose corn syrup that's in me. Someone else has to read that. <laughs> and, uh, so that's good. And I think we do need to practice it with each other. Like when we did it at the retreat, that's a very powerful exercise. And so, you know, for the listeners, if you have a group of people and it could be your small group or whatever, or professional organization, to take some time to deliberately say what you see in someone else. It will change their lives. I wrote down everything that people said so that I could remember and go back to. And that's really, really important. So um, what would you say to somebody who is struggling right now? What would your advice be to someone who's struggling with insecurity? First of all, the more secure somebody is, the easier it is for them to say, I'm insecure. So in other words, you see that one of the lies is you're alone in your insecurity. It's only you. You're the only one in the world and everybody else feels great about themselves. And the reality is they're just really good, really good at putting on a mask because we are all feeling that same struggle for the, So the first thing I'd say to you is, you know what? You're not alone. You are not alone. And I'm convinced that most of us have broken off places inside of us that are frozen at four years of age, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of age. And that's the part that is insecure. That's the part that's wounded. That's the part that you're just going, should I even get up in the morning? And here's the cool thing. Jesus longs to come in and heal those young places inside. That's, I mean, that's his ministry. Heal the brokenhearted, which will set you free. And so... I would just say, invite Jesus into those places, invite him in, allow him to do the healing. And then don't judge that young part of you. In other words, come on, get it together. You know, it's been six months. Stupid five-year-old. Yeah, stupid five-year-old. Come on. You should be able to run a lot faster than that. Because give yourself the grace that you would give somebody else mm. that's in your position. 
that's hard to do, but it's very important. And to love yourself as you love others. And, you know, Jesus says we need to love others as we love ourselves. I think there's something to be said about loving ourselves as we love others because we're kinder to strangers. We're kinder to the people in our life than we are to ourselves in our head. We never give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We never assume positive intent about ourselves. We only assume the worst. And that makes for a high level of insecurity. So when you say, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is good. Mary, that is so good. I'm going to remember that that one. That's what I'm writing down. That is so good. <clears throat> uh, okay. So the last question is how has God restoried you given you a new story in the past year or so? Oh my gosh. Uh, how much time do we have? Um, so we had a tree fall on our house. Mm. Um, the mastermind saved your life, by the way. The mastermind saved my life. If I had not been on a mastermind retreat with Susie and, and Mary and Randy and Thomas and Tracy was there, uh, I would probably not be here. And so this, I, we were away and this tree went through our bedroom and, and, you know, came close to hitting Darcy and that turned our world upside down. All of a sudden, everything that we knew is different. And it put me in a position to be the support to Darcy where she had been the support all, all these years. Now I had to be a support with all the things that she was going through. And it was, I had prayed a stupid prayer a month before that. Hmm. Uh, God slay me, take me through the fire. <laughs> and he did. And he did. So the past two and a half years have been this just total upside down reorganization of Darcy's and my relationship, of my relationship with God. And I feel like I'm walking closer with him than ever before. I'm closer to Darcy than ever before. Our relationship is better than it ever has been before. But we went through hell to get there. And that's, I guess, another thing I want to say to people who are going through whatever you're going through, insecurity or relationship or whatever it is. I truly have learned to say count it all joy when you go through trials and tribulations because God wants to make you whole. And we just do not get whole by going through the good times. We get mm -hmm. whole by going through the bad times. And you even, um, part of that process was you left where you lived. You loved Seattle. You were, you know, had a community there. And uh, you now live on the other side of the mountains in a cabin that you both owned and you're remodeling. How has that transition been in a new place we really felt like with the tree falling and everything we went through, we felt like God was saying, new season, yeah. new season. Everything is becoming new. Yeah. Everything is becoming new. And so for us, it has been absolutely wonderful on every level. We feel like it has been a gift. It's been a gift. And I'm sure that in the moment of the terror of it all, you never would have thought that it was a gift. But in retrospect, you're looking back and saying, ultimately, that tree landing on your house helped you get to where you are today. Oh, it's the best thing that's ever happened to us. Isn't that crazy to yes, say that? Yes, absolutely and, and, crazy. <laughs> and, and what, I mean, in unbelievable ways, uh, Darcy, it's, it is, it is brought more freedom to Darcy than ever before because of what we've gone through. It's just been, I could give you example after example of, of it has turned into an amazing blessing. Plus, you got to run into Viggo Mortensen, so... Uh, I did, yes. That I would did. not have happened. <laughs> that would not have happened. And here's the interesting thing about... Uh, those of Vigo you, uh, or Viggo? Viggo? Viggo. Viggo. Okay, sorry. Yeah. And so, those of you who don't now know... Now that you're his best friend, you know exactly how it is. Yeah, that's right. Now, well, I don't call him Viggo. I call him Vig. Yeah, uh, okay, of course. <laughs> he just calls you J instead of Jim. J. That's right, J. <laughs> um, 
So getting to watch him and getting to know him a little bit and hang around him for, I guess, two and a half months, um, he was filming a, a movie while we in, in the Seattle area while we were living in this uh, hotel while our house was being fixed. So that's how I ended up uh, meeting him. And Mary, it was, I mean, how cool God used Viggo Mortensen. Because here's this guy that's one of the bigger movie stars in the world. And you would think he was a gardener. You would think he was a guy, you know, working at Walmart as a clerk. I mean, he was so humble, so real. The fame meant nothing to him. And that was, you know, that's God was taking me through the process of being validated by my books at that point. And so looking at him going, he doesn't care that he's an actor. He just, that's his job and he likes doing it, but it does not validate him in any way, shape or form. And I got to a point that summer where I said, you know what, if I never write another novel, I'm okay with it. And that was such a massive point for me to get to. So God used him as an example of that's not where you get your validation. Well said. And I think that kind of cap- encapsulates what we've been trying to talk about today. And every time I have a, a conversation with someone, it's some other theme, and this is the validation theme. <laughs> uh, and I think that's part of being an artist, too. I mean, we artists and being in ministry with our art. It's yes. like a really yes. weird stew of things yes. that we have to try to muck and mire our way through. And there's like things we have to examine like motive and whatnot. So it's, it's a mess, but, and we're a mess. But <laughs> we are a mess. <laughs> thankfully, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully he is not a mess and he loves to be in our mess. And I'm grateful for that. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for being on the show today. It was a great conversation and I really look forward to having other people listen to it in the future. Well, I love, love being here. This was great, Mary. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Restory show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that uh, you see us when we're running around chasing everything. And yet, you know that you are the one who is best able to fill us. So forgive us, Lord, for chasing after dreams more than we chase after you. But as we chase after those dreams, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be fully rooted and established in you, that our worth would be set, that we wouldn't try to validate our lives with chasing after other things, but instead, Lord, we'd validate our lives by knowing that we are your children. For those who are struggling with financial difficulties today, Father, I pray that you would bring provision in weird and surprising ways because you don't always operate the same way each time. So I pray for provision for the person listening today who desperately needs it. I pray for healing of people battling maybe a chronic illness. I pray, Father, that you would lift the weight of that illness from them today. Um, And if it's not full healing, Lord, I pray just for um, a lifting of the burden of bearing it, that you would bear the weight of the stress of the illness. And I pray for those who struggle um, in artistic kinds of careers or ministry-related careers of knowing what is good and what is not good, what to pursue, what not to pursue. I just pray you would give us discernment about how to pursue you in the midst of our lives and our careers. I pray for those who are struggling with relationship today, um, a relationship that maybe has gone sour, and I pray your Holy Spirit would infuse that relationship and do something new. We trust you, Lord. We believe that you are good, and we lay our lives down before you today. We sacrifice ourselves. We lay ourselves down as a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 says. Um, This is our spiritual act of worship, and so we surrender afresh. We trust that you know what's best for us. Forgive us for putting our hands on too many things and trying to control everything. Um, Help us to live with open hands. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you'd like to know more about today's shows with links and extended information, please go to marriedmuth.com forward slash restory 2-5. And may you live a brand new story this week.